Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and went and sat down by the sea. And great crowds were gathered to him. So he got into the boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was on the beach. And he began teaching them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some, path, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell in rocky soil, where there was not much soil. And immediately it sprang up, because there was no depth of soil. But as the sun rose, they were scorched, and because there was no root, they withered away. Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them, and some seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let he who has ears hear the gospel of the Lord. Pray to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word. We believe that Matthew was inspired to record these words of Jesus they had power for Matthew's day, and they have power today if we will hear them. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit and open this word to us, perhaps as never before, that we would be changed more and more to be like Christ. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. I want to bear more fruit in my life. I want to bear more fruit in my life. I was on a plane with a young man a number of years ago, and he was wearing a Green Bay Packers jersey. Don't judge him. And he found out I was a pastor. And so he says this. He says, oh, then you must love Tim Tebow then with his John 3.16 written in his eye makeup. And I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. Later in that same flight, I met another man, older, in a Green Bay Packers jersey at the back of the plane, and he introduced himself to me as the boy's father. And then he said this to me. He said, I overheard your conversation. I hear you're a pastor. He said, my son is in a really bad place. Drugs, jail time. I'm not religious, but maybe you could say something to him that would help. I thought, yeah, no pressure. <laughs> well, what did I say? Well, as always, you'll have to wait till the end of the sermon to find out. I want to bear more fruit in my life. Our text today, this passage from Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, is a parable about fruit bearing. Seed gets sown, but only some of the seed bears fruit. Verse 8 of our text in Matthew 13. Other seed fell on good soil and produced grain. Later in, Luke, uh, in Matthew 13, when Jesus explains the parable to, to his disciples, he says in verse 23, he calls this grain fruit. He says, indeed he bears fruit. And this language of bearing fruit is common language in the Bible for living into the life that God has called us to live into, to live a whole, godly, 
life that's a blessing to those around us, living into the calling that God has placed on our lives. This is to bear fruit, to show on the outside of our lives that which is going on in the inside of our lives, bearing fruit. You think of John the Baptist's ministry, Matthew 3, verse 8. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, don't just say you're repenting. Show some fruit that really looks like you're living a repentant life. Galatians chapter 5, that most famous section on bearing fruit, we read in verse 22 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against all such things there is no law. But I can't even read those words, love, peace, patience, kindness, and not take an audit of my own fruit bearing and say something's lacking. When I look at the call of God in my life in Scripture, I'm regularly confronted with how much I'm falling short. And that's going to be your experience too, unless you're a sociopath. (laughs) The reality is, is when we look at our lives, we see a lack of fruit bearing. We have to. We have to when we have the measure of Scripture raised before us. For example, look at some of the greatest fruit-bearing superstars of, of the last 50 years. Think of people, Christians, who have really lived into this call of fruit-bearing in a big way. And here's what they say about their own sense of how much fruit they're bearing. Teresa of Calcutta says, I am very sinful and most unworthy of God's love. That's Mother Teresa. Billy Graham says, The Christian life is not a constant high. I have my moments of deep discouragement. I have to go to God in prayer with tears in my eyes and say, Oh God, forgive me. We all need to bear more fruit. I want to bear more fruit in my life. In this parable from Matthew chapter 13, shows us three components to bearing fruit. There's the soil, there's the seed, and there's the sower. Next week, we're going to look in more detail at the soil and the sower. Today, we're going to look at the seed. We're going to look at the seed that is needed and involved in fruit bearing. Jesus tells us again in verses 19 to 23, where he explains the parable to his disciples, He explains that the seed is the word of God, specifically the word of the kingdom. Verse 19, word of the kingdom. Verse 20, word. Verse 21, word. Verse 22, twice, word, word. 23, word. The seed is the word. There's no question. The word of God is what the sower is sowing. And the parables are telling us that if we want fruit in our lives, we need the word of God. We need the seed of the sower to penetrate our lives. That's how fruit gets born. And there's three things that we see with this fruit, with the seed. That this word of God, the seed, gathers people. The first thing we see in this text is that it gathers people. That the word gathers people who are longing for fruit. But the word not only gathers, the word then gives the fruit. We'll see in this text that the word is doing the real work here to build and produce the fruit. But finally, not only does the word gather a people and not only does the word give the fruit, 
but the word ends up going everywhere. The sower scatters that seed everywhere. It goes everywhere. First, the word gathers a people wanting fruit. Verse 2, we read, that the great crowds gathered about Jesus so that he got into the boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. I mean, literally standing room only. Jesus has to put his pulpit in a boat to make room for everyone that's gathered. Jesus is magnetic. Why are the crowds there? Why have they come? Why are they drawn? Why have they gathered to Jesus? Well, it's because of his words. Sure, he's done some miraculous, supernatural, mighty deeds of God as well. But we see again and again in the Gospel of Matthew, think of chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, that the crowds were astonished most by his words, his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as one of the scribes. His words contained eternal life. His words contained that which they needed. His words were attractive and gathered a people. Verse 19 specifically calls this the word of the kingdom. And the word of the kingdom is a great way of saying the word of God because what it declares is, is the heart of God's word. When we talk about the word of God, we mean Genesis through Revelation. We mean the whole of scripture. We mean Jesus' own words because all of scripture ultimately points to him. But specifically, the word of the kingdom means this, that what Jesus is declaring in the whole of scripture is that God's kingdom is being brought to bear in this world. That the rule of God is being inserted back into his world in such a way to fix it, to heal it, to take a broken people and make them whole again, to take a broken world and make it right. God has come to fix our world. This is what is being declared. And we even see it. I mean, we see it everywhere in Scripture. But look at Ezekiel chapter 18, which you read just a few moments ago. This is the word of the kingdom being declared through the prophet Ezekiel. Verse 30 of Ezekiel 18. Repent and turn from your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourself a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. I mean, the word from Ezekiel here is, is there's an opportunity for new life. You don't have to stay in the mess that you're living in. God is coming into this world in order to fix it, to turn it around, to change your life. I mean, look who kept gathering around Jesus all the time. The prostitutes the tax collectors, sinners who were wearing their sin right on their sleeves. They were gathered to Jesus because they needed fruit. They knew they were lacking in fruit. One of the biggest challenges we have is that so often we don't think we're that much in need. We think we're doing pretty good. I thank you, O oh God, that I'm not like other men. And yet, these prostitutes and tax collectors and open sinners flocked to Jesus because they knew their great need. They knew they needed fruit. They knew they were a mess. And his word of the kingdom declared victory over the darkness. I think of the little girl who's been memorizing scripture. And she has a candle in her room. And around the candle it says, Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 
right? Light your candle, be a lit candle, be a light in the world. And then she finishes reciting it and she turns around and punches her brother. And her mother says, where's the light? What happened to your candle? And the girl says, well, mommy, you know, sometimes I just seem to blow myself out. Wisdom, it's true. Sometimes we just blow ourselves out. We get to a place where we need to recognize our need for fruits. And this is why people gather to the word. The word gathers people who are in need of this word of the kingdom. But not only does the word gather people who need fruit, the word actually gives the fruit. I mean, this is the amazing thing in this story. The the fruit is given by the word. Verse 8, other seed fell on good soil and produced grain. The word produce there means give. It means, in a sacrificial sense even, that the word, the seed, offered grain, offered fruit. The word made the fruit happen. I mean, think about a little seed for an apple tree. I mean, sure, you need soil and nutrients, but the whole apple tree is miraculously fit right inside that seed. And that's what the word of God is. That's what this seed is that the sower is sowing is this full potential for the kingdom of God to grow in your life and to grow in my life. The seed, the word, gives the fruit, grows the fruit, makes the fruit happen. It's the conviction again and again through Scripture that fruit is a gift which comes from the word implanted in our lives. If you want fruit, you need the word of God to dwell in you. And this is why with this power of the word, the power of the seed, this is why preachers will often hear these kind of words as we're shaking hands after church. People will say things like this, it's like you are reading my journal. It's like you spoke right into the very question I brought in this day. And that has nothing to do with the brilliance of the preacher, nor are we breaking into your homes and reading your journals. That is the power of the word. The word of God which comes in and builds what you need will build that fruit in your life. You see, I remember this time when I preached back in seminary, what I hope will forever be my my worst sermon ever. It was terrible. It was, it was so bad. And I mean, none of the analogies made sense. The research just sort of went sideways while I was in the moment. The jokes weren't funny. Nothing was working. The congregation was clearly more confused at the end of the sermon than we were at the beginning. And I sat at the back door shaking hands, just horribly embarrassed. And people kept going by and shaking hands. Thank you for the sermon. I thought, no, you're not thankful. And this woman came up to me and she shook my hand and she said, now I'm ready to die. And I thought, yeah, of course you are. (laughs) Yep. But in all seriousness, she, with tears in her eyes, said, no, now I'm ready to die. She said, I've got terminal cancer. And she said, I've been struggling and so fearful. And she said, I just listening to that word today just transformed my whole heart. I am ready to relinquish my life to Jesus. I thought, were you listening to the same sermon? But that's the word of God. That's the power of the word to come in and do what the word of God is going to do. It affects the power. It affects the change. It brings and gives the fruits. 
Now the soil, therefore, what's the soil's job? We're going to talk about that more next week. The soil really, therefore, only has one job. Make room for the word. Make room for the seed. The soil's job is to attend to the soil and make sure there's room for that seed to get in there. And we'll look at that next week. The word gives the fruit. Gathers people, gives the fruit. But finally, the word goes everywhere. I mean, I find this incredible. Look at verse 3. A sower went out to sow. Verse 4, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. Verse 5, other seeds fell on rocky ground. Verse 6, other seeds fell among thorns. And you want to ask yourself, does this sower know what he's doing? I mean, he puts it in all the wrong places. Sure, some ends up, but only it seems a quarter of it ends up in good soil. What is he doing? He's putting the seed out in the wrong places. I mean, my mom comes from a long line of farmers, and seed is sown carefully. You don't just throw it around. The point is this. No sower is like this sower. No sower is like this sower. Lavish, generous, gracious, almost embarrassingly generous. He throws that seed everywhere. I mean, do you hear this? That God in his wisdom has contained within his word, the word of God, the word of the kingdom, has contained within his word the full power to affect conversion, transformation, sanctification, new life, fruits. God has put all of that into his word. The word has the power to do it. And then what does he do with that instrument of salvation? He throws it everywhere. Everywhere. It goes out into the world. I mean, isn't this what happens when we celebrate Christmas? I mean, this is what we will celebrate in a few months from now when we read from John chapter 1 that the Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word of God. And verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, the Word of God, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was scattered out onto the earth. He moved into our neighborhoods and he was scattered on our soil. Our soil. What what soil did Jesus find 2,000 years ago as he was born into this world? Did he find good soil? No, he found hard soil like that path. He found cluttered soil like those rocky places and thorns. And he found shallow soil. Again and again, Jesus was sent into the world into the wrong kinds of soil because, friends, he was sent for you and for me. This is the incarnation. And yet we read in Romans 5.8 that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were the wrong type of soil, Christ died for us. See, it's all about the sower in the end. That's why Jesus in verse 18 gives a title to this parable. It's not the parable of the seed. It's not the parable of the soils. He says in verse 18, here are the parable of the sower. See, the real point of this parable that's causing us to sit up and pay attention is this sower that we are introduced to. Do you know the lavish, generous, gracious love of this sower who spreads his seed everywhere, unexpected places? And do you know what's really neat is that therefore what's 
amazing is we get to be part of that sowing. You see, God is still always the sower. The sower is the sower. But as he gives his word to us, and as it dwells in us, and it changes our lives and bears fruit, then we take that same word out into the world. And as we speak that word, as we share that word, the sower continues to spread his seed. Yesterday morning, our second youngest was sitting over breakfast with Monica and I, and we were chatting, and Monica was sharing about what they were doing in school. And so my 11-year-old, uh, I was told, was, is, is memorizing Philippians chapter 1 in school. And so mom and I are talking about this. Monica and I are talking back and forth about it. And Eric is over here. And then all of a sudden, as we're talking, we just hear these words start being spoken at the dinner table, at the breakfast table. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And then she keeps going. And Monica and I start crying. And we looked at each other and we sort of said, why are we crying? It's because we were witnessing our 11-year-old having the seed, the word, dwelling in her. But now not only was it dwelling in her, now she's sharing it. She's speaking it. She is part of the sower spreading his seed. As we speak this word of the kingdom, the word gathers people who are in need of fruit. The word gives the fruit. And this word, because of this amazing sower, goes everywhere. I want to bear more fruit. When I was on that plane several years ago with that young man with a Green Bay Packers jersey who asked me if I liked Tim Tebow and his John 3.16 under his eyes, and I didn't know what he was talking about, after I'd met his father near the restroom who told me that this young man had been suffering under drugs and jail time. And he said, I'm not religious, but could you say something to him that would help? So I sat down back in my seat next to him, praying, saying, what am I, I going to say? And all I knew was I have no power in me, but the word of God does. And so I said, remember that Tim Tebow thing you talked about earlier? He said, yeah. And I said, that three, John 3.16 thing? And he said, Yeah. I said, do you know what that verse means? And he said, no, not really. And so I got the opportunity there on that American Airlines flight to say to him and explain to him that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all who believe in him, whosoever would believe in him, would not perish but have eternal life. That Jesus had come to fix his life and my life, had borne all of our sins on the cross, had overcome death on Good Friday. And I said, it's, it's for you. It's, it's offered for you. You have a new life that he's offering to you. And at the end of that, he said, not knowing that I'd spoken to his dad, he did not know that his dad and I had spoken. He said... You know, I've done some terrible things in my life. I've broken my parents' hearts again and again. And then he said this, he put his hands up and he said, okay, I'm willing. And he said, I guess you want me to start reading my Bible. And I said, sure, yeah, uh, just don't start with Leviticus. Let's, let's, you know, start you in the Gospel of John. And I said, and connect with me on Facebook and we can, we can, keep this conversation going. And it was a week later that he reached out to me on Facebook and said, 
He said, I've been reading the Bible. And he said, God has grabbed me and I'm heading into rehab this week. And my dad is driving me there tomorrow. And some seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.